Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. I invite you to turn with me to John 18 and 19. And basically, that's where we will be this evening. I told you this morning that Jesus made two very clear statements about himself. He said, I have come to bear witness to the truth. And we dealt with that this morning, that Jesus is, in fact, the one who testifies to us what real truth, ultimate reality, absolute sincerity, who God is and where every bit of truth flows from. The second thing that he said, everyone who hears me listens to my voice. I want us tonight to consider that second clear statement that Jesus made before Pilate. After Jesus made that statement in John 18 and verse 37, Pilate looked up to him when Jesus said, I am, he claimed to be a king. I've come into the world for this purpose to bear witness to the truth. And if you're Hearing the truth, you're going to hear my voice. And Pilate looked up at him and responded this way, What is truth? Well, that is a question that was not used just that time, but has been the question since the beginning of time, where people have asked, what is truth? People don't ask what is truth because truth is not able to be found. People are asking what is truth because they don't like, maybe, the truth that they have found. And they're wanting something else. Others might ask what is truth because they've been confused by others. Some are asking, what is truth? Because they really don't know. I want you to think with me for just a few minutes. Our topic for today, our theme, is truth. And from this gospel of truth, the gospel of John, uh, we're seeing what he says about the truth that resides in his word. Therefore... Let us consider this text. This text tells us about a struggle that happened during this event. When Jesus was on trial, I want you to notice the struggle for truth that existed all around his arrest and his trial, and his crucifixion. And I want you to notice what two things first. What do people say about truth in this text? We're going to notice those who have a worldly view of truth. And then we're going to notice those who have a faithful framing to their concept of truth. Let's look first. Chapter 18, 
As the chapter opens, you recall the story. Jesus has been all night in the garden praying, and his disciples are there. Judas Iscariot has gone, and he's left the group. He has gone into the leaders of the Jews, and he's agreed to a payment that the temple guard will come, and he will lead them to Jesus. And he will betray him with a kiss. Look at verse 3. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops... And officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am. This opening battle over truth. We see the soldiers represent the worldly word of truth that says truth is whatever the authority says that it is. Now that's truth. The soldiers had not really, it seems, taken time to consider who Jesus was. They had only been told to go and arrest this man for whatever reasons they had been given. But it's pretty interesting to me that Jesus presented himself in such a great way, in such a powerful way, that merely by saying, I am, they fell backwards. Because they were simply there because they were told what to do. The truth for them was whatever the chief priest and the rulers had said it was. And now they were confronted with real truth. The worldly word about truth is whatever the authorities say, that has to be the answer. Whatever the authorities say must be The truth. Number two, there is also the struggle for truth that happens in John 18, verses 15 and down through 27 with an in-between section. It's what happens with Simon Peter. Now, Peter when he followed Jesus to the place where he was on trial, Peter was standing outside in the garden, and on three separate occasions, and it appears as though this may have happened over a little bit of an extended time, of a number of maybe an hour, two, or three. And over this extended period of time, he was able to have a chance to confess his faith. But three times he denied Jesus. The struggle for truth with Peter was that truth is whatever brings about the best consequences at the moment for me. Peter, in that moment, 
was living out what we understand to be situation ethics. At that moment, at that time, in that situation, truth was, I need to deny him. Because by denying him, I have better consequences that come to me. Truth is not based upon the consequences that come to us. We take them no matter what. Number three, Jesus was on trial before the high priest, John 18, verses 19 through 24. And as he spoke, he was very plain, verse 20, he had spoke openly to them. In verse 22, one of the officers of the leaders struck him with the palm of his hand. Because Jesus answered, he said, why did you answer the high priest that way? And Jesus said, if I've spoken evil, bear witness of it. In this position, in this situation, the worldly word of truth was... Truth is whatever helps me maintain my current position. Apparently it's okay. It is truth for some to say at the moment that I'm going to keep my standing, keep my position, keep who I am and what I am, then truth is that. That's what real truth is because I want to stay in the place where I am Number four, now Jesus is taken into Pilate's court. And you know how it happened there before Pilate. Pilate was judging him for the Jewish people because they had already decided that they wanted him killed anyway. But they had to let Pilate make that decision and we've already seen the confrontation this morning that Pilate had with Jesus. And that's where this whole statement, verses 37 and 38, has come from. Look at verse 38. Pilate said, what is truth? And they said, and he went out to the Jews and he said, I don't find any fault in him. Look at verse 39. He said to the Jews... You have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you Jesus of Nazareth? In this case, the worldly word about truth is this. Whatever is a long-held tradition must in fact be truth. He said, I don't find any fault in this man, Jesus. And yet that truth, I don't find fault, was set aside for the truth of the moment that says, okay, I, this tradition that we have to release. See, he's trying to get rid of his responsibility. And if he can get them to do it, it's not about truth. It's just getting him out from under it by using a long-held tradition. Sometimes truth merely is a long-held tradition 
that we just don't want to give up. Notice in chapter 19 now. In verse number 7, the reason they had gone to Pilate, these religious leaders, look at verse 7. We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Another reason or another worldly word about truth is this. When you have a long-held religious thought, a long-held religious truth for you is a truth that you hold on to in spite of what is now facing you. They had already decided that he had blasphemed, and by their law, a blasphemer ought to die. But all of the evidence had been presented that he is not blaspheming. He really was the Son of God. But they just couldn't get away from their religious traditions. They just couldn't get away from what they had learned and taught all of their lives. That religious tradition poses as truth, and it can be dangerous. Notice another worldly word about truth. As Pilate, who's already said, I don't think he's guilty, and he keeps trying to get him released. Look at verse number 12 in chapter 19. The Jews started yelling, you better crucify him, because if you don't, you are not Caesar's friend. Pilate was a local ruler. Caesar was the emperor of the whole empire. Pilate wanted to stay friends with Caesar. He didn't want to lose the friendship, the connection with Caesar. And therefore, his truth in his mind, he set aside in order to hold on to a friendship that he wanted to make sure that he had. Has it ever happened? Do you know of a time when someone set aside truth in order to hold on to a friendship? Wasn't it Paul who wrote in 1 Corinthians 19, evil companions corrupt good morals? Sometimes friendships posing as truth, which really are not, actually take people away from the truth that is right there in front of them. Finally, the Jews just kept hollering and screaming, you better crucify him. And Pilate gave in. Because now he has decided that truth is determined by majority rule. After all of this effort, after all of this confrontation, the clash between truths that are presented finally boiled down to majority rule. That worldly word about truth is something we see around us all the time, don't we? Where merely by counting the numbers, we decide there is truth. That's what truth is. The most people who say it, that's what truth is. 
And so majority view becomes the worldly word of truth. But the rest of this story helps us to see how faithful people frame the concept of truth. What do the faithful people say about truth? We've seen what the worldly mentality says about truth, but in this story, let's notice what the faithful people say about truth. Number one, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. The Bible says that all of the people that were near and dear to Jesus were right there at the cross while he was dying. I think that is a fascinating concept. After all, they have just killed Jesus for all the things that he said and did. And these people who believe in Jesus, who believe what he said, and who accept as truth what he said and did, they are standing there at the cross. You see, they understood that truth survives time. For all of those years, those three years, an intense amount of time, they were able to see and hear Jesus. And after all of that time in relationship to Him, they teach us that truth does survive time. You can't destroy truth. You may not understand it fully, You may not even know it, but you can know it. The idea is it will survive time. Just realize that truth never changes. And even though there are many people who deny the existence of God, He's always there, and the things of God have survived. People still, 2,000 years later, Accept Jesus as truth. Number two, also at the cross, of course, were the soldiers who were taking care of the situation. They are there gambling for his clothes. They are there as all of the miracles surrounding the crucifixion, the darkness and the earthquake. All of that was taking place. John doesn't record it, but Matthew does, that one of those soldiers taking care of that situation, when he had seen everything that happened, John records how they had to go and break the legs of the two, one on each side, the two thieves, because they were not dead yet at the end of the day. And they came to break Jesus' legs, and he was already dead. And when all the sun darkening, the earthquake The legs, he died already. He yelled out the things that he did. The Bible says, Matthew records it, that this centurion said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Now that's a faithful framing of truth. It's a man who in faith says, Truth follows the evidence. He had seen all of the evidence of things that were presented that day. And it made him say, this is true. He framed 
faithfully what truth is. Third, and finally in this point, when Jesus had died, two prominent people, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, went to Pilate to claim the body. They wanted to take his body and give it a proper burial. Joseph offered up his own unused tomb again. This man, Jesus, was killed by the religious leaders, that group of men that these two, Joseph and Arimathea, also served in that same group of leaders. But they had come to understand truth. They had come to see what the real truth was right in front of them. And here's how they framed their faith in truth. They said, whatever the sacrifice necessary, we're willing to do. They were willing to potentially to sacrifice their own lives. Maybe they killed Jesus. They might kill these two as well. They were willing to sacrifice their standing and reputation with the religious leaders because surely they would not be happy with this display. When you understand truth, you understand that it does, in fact, survive time. No matter the attacks that come, it survives time. It stands always. The evidence will lead you to the truth. If you just look at the evidence as the soldier saw, you'll find the truth. And when you find the truth, there is no sacrifice too great to hold on to that truth. You see the back and forth of truth in this event with Jesus? The worldly view versus the faithful view? Pretty obvious that when Jesus said, if you listen to me, if you're from me, you'll hear my voice. And the faithful view says, yes, Lord, we hear and we accept. But a second and final point that I want to leave with us as a church is for us to beware of idolatry, which is an alternative truth that can affect Christians. I only want to mention two. There are two types of idolatry, and I want to notice how even as Christians, though we know the truth, we understand the truth, and we we claim to follow Jesus, if we're not careful, we can succumb to an alternative truth, which really is idolatry. A writer that I read after this week framed these two types of idolatry this way. There's the metal image and the mental image. First, the metal image can be an alternative truth that pulls some Christians away. By metal, truth means an idol that you can hold on to. An idol that you can see, it's material, it's right there, here it is, it's in my hand, it's in my life. Christians 
are willing to say, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Jesus had said that. Jesus wanted us to understand that we are in the world. I don't want to take you out of the world, but you can't be like the world. John would say it this way in 1 John chapter 2. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We understand that. As Christians, this world, we are in it, but we're not of it. And yet, there are times that this alternative truth in the form of a metal, holdable, actual idol takes over. And materialism takes us away from the truth of God. We get so entangled in this world that we actually do participate in a way that looks like we have denied the truth of God. Christians absolutely are amenable, or, or that is our subject, to potential idolatry in their lives with the physical things of this world. We better beware because the truth of God should shine past that. Number two, the writer that I was reading said, there's also a mental image. By a mental image, I want to refer to the concept of orthodoxy or tradition that holds us in a way that it becomes idolatrous as well. What I mean by that is simply this. Christian people could very well be susceptible to the idea that because we've done this for so long, because this is, has been our stance, this is what we've always done, this is what's truth, this is what we're going to hold on to. But in fact, even if it is true, what we had done is fine. It was good, and it's true. But when you hold on to a truth like that from the past that is tradition... It becomes an idol in your mind that you worship and it pulls you away from the truth of God. In Mark 7 and in Matthew 15, Jesus dealt with those Pharisees because of their traditions. And he says, you set aside the truth of God for your traditions. And he talked about the things about uh, washing of cups and and things that they did in the Mosaic law. But what the problem was, they had entrenched them, ingrained them in their own way of teaching it so that it became a tradition that held them back rather than a concept that could move them forward. Christians need to be aware of the idolatry of orthodoxy or tradition. In closing, I, I loved hearing what this author said about idolatry. He said, idolatry halts growth because it takes God and encapsulates Him in this box. And it's restricting Him to that. And therefore, you can't grow and, and you can't develop and come to know more about God because you have confined him to an image. 
Idolatry brings the good and right of God and brings it down to this confining image, halting our own growth. And so I'm thinking particularly about the mindset that says, we've never done it this way before. What we did before at that time was right. Nothing wrong with it. But if that mentality continues to exist, then we confine God to what we've done before. And we're not able to grow and develop and deepen our understanding of God as we move forward. Not changing the principles of the Word of God, but certainly willing to examine the practices of those principles. How can we put them into practice in different ways than we have done before? Today was a day of truth. Jesus said, I'm testifying, bearing witness to the truth. And if you hear me, if you're of the truth, you will listen to my words. Let us be people of faith who accept the truth of God that has survived the centuries and all of the abuse. Let us accept the evidence that God has presented on a wide and broad scale so that we can come to know what He wants from us. And then let us, in our understanding of truth, accept whatever sacrifice is necessary to hold on to it. And in so doing, we can set idolatry aside and simply hold to the truth of Jesus. Thank you for joining us this evening. May these words about truth assure us, give us confidence, and remind us to stand firm in the truth of God. And as always, may God bless our country. May God bless our church and each one of us so that we might know the truth of God the way He wants us to. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.